okay, I'm still modeling, doing this thing, had this little boy, I'm doing shows, I'm sponsoring, uh, I'm, 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 I'm out there doing um, pool parties, all the, you know, when I modeled, I modeled everything. I'm in the barbershop one day with my little boy. And they, of course, at the barbershop show all the stuff that's going on in town. I see my body go across the TV screen <laughs> with a back out strip, you know, bikini. And I was like, I can't do this anymore because I can't let my boy see this happening. So, and I have to put everything into him to make him be better than I was. Welcome back to the Two Stuff in the Fail podcast. I am your host, Darren Perkins, and today's episode, man, super special. We actually got the inspiration for a lot of the things, not only that I do, but who I have become as a person. Um, kind of the inspiration behind the man, behind the brand, if you will. Um, very special woman to me. Uh I'm blessed and fortunate to have her close to me now. Um, was about an hour away, but now we she basically in my backyard. Um, without further ado, the lovely Angela Perkins. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Um, what I didn't mention is that you're my mom. Uh, <laughs> most important part of the whole process. Um, I'm grateful to have you on, and it just made sense that you know, everybody else got their interview. It was just about that time. Um, so before we, we get into the meat and potatoes of everything, um, kind of talk about um, how it was growing up um, in New York. Yes. How, how was it growing up in New York? Well, I was in New York until I was seven years old. Um, just me and my mom, family. I was the little princess of the family. And then my father worked in Washington hmm. and came back and forth. And then they he came home one day and they got pregnant. Mm -hmm. That was all new to me. <laughs> what does that mean? And I was the only child, the only niece, the only grandchild, the only everything. And then here comes this baby. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Maryland. That was a devastating thing for me because I was in private school. I went to school with a bunch of rich kids. Mm -hmm. I came to Maryland. Everybody was country. I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, the teacher told my mother she won't speak to anybody. I didn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. You know, the, the lingo was yeah. different. The dialogue was different. And that was, but New York was great. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was a, a it was an open thing where you could do and be whatever. I mean, it was a great big city and then I moved to the sticks of Maryland. <laughs> that was kind of how I did <laughs> But um, I'm sure eventually you were able to find some things that you like. You got a little bit older. Um, did you feel like you ever really acclimated to the DMV area? No. Um, that's, that was your story. This is <laughs> <laughs> I never, I always felt bigger. Than where I was. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I was supposed to be something else other than the country. And because we moved, uh, my father bought a shed, I thought, for <laughs> a, a house. 
and um, we stayed there about a year. But everybody on the street was poorer than we were. Um, there weren't mother and father situations. We had two cars. I had different outfits every day. And one day, funny story, it might be funny to you all, but it wasn't funny to me. For some reason, the whole street went to one school. The two houses on the end of the street were bused to another school. I went to this other school, and the other poor kids on the street, they got off out of school earlier than I did. So they would wait for me <laughs> with knives and scissors to cut my hair <laughs> and to cut my clothes. <laughs> okay, so I had to come past this mob of kids with dogs and get home every day. Wow. Yeah, so one day I... um jump through the screen door because they almost caught me. Yeah, but time I didn't have time to stop. And <laughs> it was a white lady that was on the corner called my mom and said, look, something's going on. You gotta do something. But I've always been different. And and they didn't even they don't people never gave me a chance because I wore the clothes. I had to walk. I had to I was smart and it just wasn't I never did get that committed to Maryland. No. It was just different. It I was never just, knew that. It was a different feeling different aspect but i always felt like i was supposed to be different i was modeling at that age you know doing little things at the church but as we get on you'll find out a little bit more about me but i, I just always felt greater how did you cope with feeling kind of ostracized i did not talk mm -hmm. i was an introvert very angry because i couldn't understand why we had to make the transition to move mm -hmm. um Talk, well, talking to my mom, she didn't want to have two children and not have her husband, so she went with her husband. I could not get my mind around being like that. And I had always been special and different and, you know, involved in stuff. And now I was around a bunch of things that did not accept me for who I was. I was just different. I always have been different. I always wanted more. It had to be tough. Yeah. Um, so with, with you always feeling as though you were too big for your surroundings, um, I know you said that you stayed to yourself a lot and maybe that's where I get a lot of it from too. Um, not for the same reasons, but I always felt as though I was more reserved and I mean, not felt, I was, I was actually, well, to this day, I'm still more reserved, um, in instances more so back when I was in school, everybody knew me for being quiet. Um, a lot of that had to do with um, just not wanting to say anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to. But now I'm getting out of that, um, which is one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is to stretch me. Um, now I'm talking every weekend or, you know, just having different conversations, getting more comfortable with communicating with people. Uh, is huge. What do you, uh, can you, did you have any, um, I guess, representations of business owners early? Um, in my family, I'm from a social work background. Mm -hmm. uh, but my uncles, well, uh, my father was a contractor. Mm -hmm. And he owned his own business. Right. Um, and um, even though I didn't care for him too much, <laughs> but he still owned his own business. Right. And my uncles, even though they were in the corporate world, they were social workers, they uh, were DJs. Mm -hmm. And then we had a record shop. 
And I was at nine years old going to going back to New York. I, I school was over on Friday. I went to New York Saturday, stayed for the summer. I did the ordering of the records and making sure everything was done. I learned how to do cash register. I started at nine years old. So that kind of gave me the little entrepreneurial spirit to own your own and to be your own boss. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I just didn't like what the world was showing me and I didn't want to fit into the world. So that, that just kind of started me off. Okay. Um, so after that point, um, we get to, I guess, let's go to college. Um, what, did, what was your college experience well, like? Well, not to cut you off from there, go back to 14 years old, I started modeling, okay. modeling professional. Mm -hmm. And I modeled for 14 years. And I did shows everywhere, went everywhere. And that's when I found out racism was real. Mm -hmm. um, I was in Miami um, when I first went to college. I went down there and I went to a photo, uh, a job on a yacht. And the lady looked at me and said, you don't have blue hair. I mean, blue, blonde eyes, uh, blue hair, blonde eyes and blue hair. Mm -hmm. I said, well, good thing, because I probably would scare you to death. <laughs> but, I mean, that's when racism hit. Uh -huh. That you are, a, you have a minority thing going on here, double. You're a black woman. Mm -hmm. And that can be a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. And then, fast forward, that, that, was, then I got, that was the college years. Mm -hmm. Okay, I didn't want to go to college, because um, I was in a household of abuse. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take care of my mother. You know, I'm out of school now. I can work and get away from my dad. No, that's not an option in our family. You have a choice. You go voluntarily or involuntarily, and that's what you do. So I went first. I got my degree in fashion design, and of course I was modeling. And um, then I got through that, and my family was mad at me because they said you're smarter than that. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I want to do to help my mother to get my mother away. But they said, no, work on you. Oh, okay, you're young. You don't get that. And um, I decided when I came, got out of that, you have a degree in merchandising. What's that going to do for you? So then I went to um, school to, I got a business degree. And then I um, went into uh, social work. Got, social, got a degree in social work. I worked for um, the D.C. government, and I was one of the uh, social workers that was showcased on the front of the Washington Post when they went from welfare to work, and my career shot up. Still wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. Still wasn't at a place where it fit. And I had this little boy that I wanted to <laughs> show the world to and wanted him to be everything. So at that point, I started another business, mm -hmm. uh, a business. Um, I don't know whether you remember, um, oh God, it was, uh, where I did the entertainment thing, where we, uh, artists would come into town, and what we would do, we didn't want them to have, to have the stardom vision all the time. We wanted them to have down home. We would take them out, feed them, um, home cooking, and, you know, take them around town, so they didn't have to be stars all the time they right. with, and bizarre productions that was mm -hmm. the thing with it and that was going really well but i didn't have the capital mm -hmm. and i didn't really realize what i needed to do because i got lavert came in the town and he offered us his job his um concert mm -hmm. thirty-seven thousand dollars. Thirty-seven thousand dollars. like oh where am i gonna get that from and nobody would 
you know, put the money up. Yeah. But Lorette gave that show to me because of talking and, and night relationships. relationships and things mm -hmm. like that. That's what got me there. And um, then I had this little boy, okay, I'm still modeling, doing this thing, had this little boy. I'm doing shows, I'm sponsoring, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm out there doing um, pool parties, all the, you know, when I modeled, I modeled everything. I'm in the barbershop one day with my little boy. And they, of course, at the barbershop show all the stuff that's going on in town. I see my body go across the TV screen <laughs> with a back out strip, you know, bikini, and I was like, can't do this because I can't let my boy see this happening. So, and I have to put everything into him to make him be better than I was. And I think you probably have heard this saying, um, I want his, my floor, his floor to be my ceiling. Yeah. So, and I want it more for you. So, and, and, and one of the major things, because I did not understand so much stuff and didn't have the support of my dad, mm -hmm. I wanted so much for you that I put everything in you. I talked to you, no matter what it was. I didn't know how to do this right, that right, the other right, but I explained to you, this is the goal. Okay, we want a Mercedes there. I gotta work, I don't know how to budget. We, and you would go and do it and we talked. We talked about everything. And, and that's where I um, did a lot of things, but I tried, I didn't give up. I never gave up on anything. How did um, having this little boy, which is me. Um, <laughs> how did that change you? Um, I was very, because I had, and I don't want to get too much into that, um, an alcoholic parent that was very, very abusive mentally as well as, as well as physically, I wanted the best for you, and I wanted to be the best that I could be for you. I put everything into you. I wanted you to be that guy that... I wanted in my life, so no, the sky was the limit. I, 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 I put in, uh, and my gift, I believe, is encouragement, because I, I never let anything go with you. I was there with you. I, I supported you, even though um, you all probably, I know if you've seen his, he's on the podcast about his dad. Um, his dad was um, incarcerated, but we all had a beautiful relationship. But I wanted. I, I had to put everything into you, but at, in the middle of all of that, I got sick. My liver malfunctioned. They didn't expect me to live. I didn't know how to process that, but my thought was always on you. What do I do to make his life better? I had set up all these college funds and all this money. I heard you talk about the things that you do to, to promote your children. You had a college fund. You had... Um, CDs. When I got sick, I had to use that money so that we could live. Right. And but I talked to you about that. Mm -hmm. All right, this is what we have to do. You gotta be the best that you can be, so that because I don't know if I'm even gonna be here. We even set you down and prepared you to be without your mother. Um, it didn't happen. You see him here, but that was in '03 when they decided. They said to me that I I'd never lived past. That was. Uh, November my birthday they said I'd never see it till Christmas but my thing was I can't get into despair I still have to raise him no matter what I cannot give up I actually do want to um, talk about that a little bit because that that probably was the most difficult part 
of my entire life. Um, I forget the year, um, but I was in the seventh grade and we had just moved to Laurel, Maryland, uh, Briarwood, and it was different. It was it was just you and I. Um, it, it got you like you said you got sick, and it forced me to. I, I think I started to become independent in that moment um, because instead of you being able to take me back and forth to school, I would catch a cab. Um, and I was in a private school still, um, but that was that was a difficult time in that um, I didn't know fully what was going to go on with you. Um, they did tell me that I would lose you, and at that age, I don't know how you process that. I don't I don't know what would have how that moment would have played out had I lost you at that age. Um, it would have been devastating, obviously. Um, but I don't know how... It's hard to foresee me like just overcoming that because we are so close. At the time, our relationship... Our relationship has never been bad. Um, we were so close. I don't know where I would be if I had lost you that early on. At that moment, it was, I, I was not processing things too well because I cared and I wanted so much for you. And you became, you had to become a man mm -hmm. then. You took care of me. Um, I had been going to law school, mm -hmm. got my degree in law. Um, and I was working full time and taking care of you by myself. And, um, I didn't know how to process it, but at that point, you had to put on your big boy drawers and you became the man. You actually carried me from my bedroom, I'll never forget it, on the comforter. You dragged me to the bathroom, washed my face, take me to the sofa, sit me up on the sofa and feed me the best that you could before you got in the cab and went to school. And you did that for four days. And then you looked at me on the last day and you said, Mom, not getting better. You need to go to the hospital. And I went to the hospital, and that's when we found out all the other stuff. I just thought I was tired. But in that moment, you became a hundred percent man. You took over taking yourself to school, you bring stuff home, you had the cab drivers go, and it was amazing. My mom came up when I was in the hospital and we found out so much that the cab company was getting ready to have you have you uh, picked up by mm -hmm. the because they thought that the voice on the phone was you calling, you were taking, oh, you know, they had never seen an adult, but the voice was me very sick. Mm -hmm. And they could not process it. I mean, and you would, the man said it was funny that they would, you would pay them on Monday mm -hmm. and you would say to them, you know, you know, if somebody said Thursday, well, damn, yeah, no, nah, I paid y'all Monday, I ain't giving y'all no more of my money. You have to keep that and they tip you, you know, where, but you, my, my point of all of this is you became a man then. And I never knew how that felt to you, but we were so close. It was nothing that I didn't talk to you about, right. nothing that I tell you, but that that problem and and to leave you, love my mother dearly, uh, um, to leave you there, I didn't know how to. But all I wanted every day, I saw you stepping up and and, and doing what you had to do to move on and 
you never was a, a, a person to ask for anything or want anything. You didn't desire anything. I just gave you right. everything because I wanted you to have it. But you weren't that 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 child. You were you you became a man early. Yeah, yeah. and obviously, um, when when it did get to that point of you having to be hospitalized, that was that was very scary. Um, you know, it gotten like you said, your liver malfunction. That was the first time I found out what jaundice was. Mm -hmm. um, just seeing you in that state, uh, it was tough. It was. Um, and then when we came, we made the transition to um, South Carolina, which was huge. Um, that was a huge culture shock for me. One, um, being in private school pretty much my whole life up yeah. until that point. Um, and then coming from the DMV to the South, not knowing any customs, not being able to understand. And that that led to me being more reserved as well because I just didn't know what people were saying. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to sound like I was stupid. Mm -hmm. I really just didn't know what you were what talking about. Um, <laughs> right, right. So that led to me being quiet early on as well. Um, just what could you speak to? Um, I mean, I know I, we never really got to have this conversation, so we're having it now. Um, I, what were your feelings when we when we had to move um, to South Carolina? Were you still in survival mode or were you in a place where you felt as though things were looking up? Yeah, full disclosure, I was hijacked. Okay, mm -hmm. I was getting ready to have <laughs> I was getting ready to have another surgery uh -huh. because um, during that time they said. She can't even go on the liver donor list because we can't open her up because if we open her up, they'll kill her. And at that point, my gallbladder can't give out. Organs were starting to deteriorate mm -hmm. one at a time. And I had to have a surgery. So I brought you to my mom just for a moment while I recovered from a surgery. I came back to get my child and she cool. had registered you for school <laughs> and i didn't know how to process that i couldn't even see you and i should have called the authorities then because <laughs> i don't know how you register a kid in school with no paperwork but my mother is hey, hey that's my mother but that's also my mother <laughs> and um i i i decided okay if this is where he is i gotta go even though i put our things in storage it took me three years to make that complete transition because South Carolina, I, I used to um, joke with my family and they said, when are you ever gonna come to live south? Not unless I get sick. So when I did come and got, and I was sick, they all was like, oh, you here and you must be sick. And then I told the story and everybody was crying. But full disclosure, when I came to South Carolina, they did not expect me to, I mean, they were literally carrying me from one place to another, on the porch, on this place, you know, this place, because I could not function. I could not do, and my dad, that really had never taken much to do in my life, was feeding me um, the syrup off of the greens every day, and um, this was almost Christmas, and um, everybody, I'm the jokester of the family, the one to keep everything going, and I finally walked Christmas Day. And with that being said, I was it was kind of hard to think. Every day I lived, is this my last? Mm -hmm. So every day 
my hope and my dream was that you were comfortable and you were happy. But and you and I talked about everything, but it's amazing that this conversation we never had. Mm-hmm. We never I never knew how you actually feel felt or, you know, if you want to go back, but because of financial things and you know money change, my uh, I, I no longer could retire the way I was. I had just gotten a, a job, um, law firm, eighty five thousand. All of that went away with that hospital visit, and I, I just didn't know what to do. But I had to make sure you were all right, and you being all right was being when my mother could take care of us. Well, I never in that moment. For me, it was more so, I've always, you know, I've always been a go-with-the-flow type of person. It wasn't as though um, I wasn't leaving much behind because, you know, I had family. But in that moment, I it wasn't about me. It really was about, am I going to have a mom, mm-hmm. you know, so. And then your that was going on in your head and what's mm-hmm. going on in my head is what's the best for you. Mm-hmm. What what even though I know you've always been a go with the flow type of person, mm-hmm. but I always want more right. for you. Right. More than that go with the flow that you had. If you said I want some Nikes, I said you had to have Jordan. I mean, you know, that's just how I've always been. So then I couldn't provide you with what you always had. Right. Regardless of your standard, my standard was always higher and wanted you to have more so that was turmoil mm-hmm. sitting there thinking I can't do this for my son right. I can't even think past tomorrow every minute that I wake up thank God so I moved into the room with you <laughs> and I stayed as close to you as I possibly could for as long as I could and then after that they diagnosed me with another another thing I had made it through the death right. but I got Mm-hmm. Different bag. Different bag. Mm-hmm. Had to deal with that. Okay, how do you at this point process all of these things that's happening? Um, so you never got a chance to process survival? No. I had to always be in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not really in survival mode. Is okay, Lord, I made it to this point here. I'm comfortable right here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm wanting to see Darren better and make sure he gets everything. But am I going to see the next day? Am I going? So every day I had to live it to the fullest to make sure that you, the, what you remembered of me was great. Mm-hmm. And then even with me being the way that I was, I tried to support anything that, and everything that you did. Never, never giving up. I never mentally gave up. I said, if this is what God has for me, I have to accept it. I did do that. But I never gave up. I always wanted to make sure that I saw you in a position where you could always jump and, and, and jump that hurdle and leap that mountain and take over, you know, whatever it was. Because you were always great to me. And I always saw a, a whole lot, a whole lot in you, and I always wanted a whole lot for you. But I never got the moment just to sit down and process. I'm not gonna be here tomorrow. But if I'm not, he gotta be ready. But we never had that conversation. But I don't ever think I would have been. I don't know how you. I don't know how you would have prepared me for that. Um, no, no, no. 
But thankfully, we we moved past that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and like yeah. you said, we had another obstacle of MS. Um, but even with that gloomy diagnosis, it wasn't death. So no. we knew that we were going to make it through. Um, it was pretty scary seeing the worst of MS. Um, could you kind of talk about what that was like, just thinking that you could possibly, you know, end up as the worst case scenario? Okay. Um, I kept falling. I had fallen all of my life. And um, with me modeling the way I would tear one way up, come down, fall, and people would say, would you stop drinking so much? And I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. Because of the dynamics of the family, my dad, I couldn't do that much because I didn't want to become mm -hmm. what he had become. And I, I I tried very hard to kind of, first of all, process the fact that, hey, I'm not white. Only white people get MS. <laughs> you know, you, you go on what you have seen. And, and they said, you have a typical case of MS. I was diagnosed in 06. And they said, by 07, you'll be in a wheelchair. That's just what your medical records right. show. Um, okay, now how do I process this? I, pro I, I can't do the death threat. I, I made it through that. So right now, how do I do it? You know what? I don't care. However God sees this to be, I just want to be cute through it all. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a wheelchair, so be it. If I get upset and allow worry to get on this, I went to all the self-help groups and all the things that the MS had to offer, and I found out your mindset really is very important. It's important that you believe the best, regardless of what the situation looks like. So, as you know, I have been in a situation where I couldn't walk, and they said, you got to fit her for a wheelchair. I said, ain't ready for that. Wheelchairs aren't cute. Hmm. I'm cute. I can't have a wheelchair. When y'all start making wheelchairs cute, I'll decide that's what I want to be. But if I am, that's the way God intended it to be. He's going to take care of me. Then I went blind. Not blind to see foggy, not blind to see gray, complete black. How do you process that? Well, these people that I call my sisters better dress me the way that I've been dressing because that's what, you know, how am I to process this with my son? He, he's watching this, all of this happen. I gotta be strong no matter what, because I gotta see, he's got to see strength in the worst of everything. He's gotta have faith in the worst. And right now, I'm his friend, because I moved him to the backwoods of, 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 of South Carolina to um, the, the, the small mind mentality place where people just don't have any encouragement, I've got to be the strength for him. So I can't let these things get me down. So then with that said, I never really got wheelchair to, but I did walk up, I did cane, mm -hmm. and I was led around by my son, and, and he, you take very good care of me. I always wanted to commend you for that. You do a very good job. But um, you've always taken care of me, and I'll never forget one day, the last time I was in the hospital, maybe not the last, one of the times I was in the hospital, and I was not seeing well, and he was talking about me not being able to walk, and I said, you know, I put so much stuff into everything. I, I give up can't do this anymore. 
and my sister called you FaceTime. And she explained to you what was going on. She was crying. And you said, Put, let me see. Let me talk to my mom. And on the FaceTime, you looked at me and said, if you don't get up, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and when you said that, that let me know what I had done. That let me know what I had given you. But you were always my strength and my support. But you gave me, you can do this. Because, you know, you don't have to give up. Because Darren is going to be fine. He's taking care of you, as always. But you gave me the strength to go that extra mile again. And I laughed through it. And I was able to turn it around. But that was the first time and the only time that I just said, But I drew my strength from you. And you told me, if you don't get up, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. And then Union, uh, being small, the town, it, it, I, I couldn't, I never could function in Union. And then you gave me another miracle. You gave me a granddaughter. And then you said, Mom, would you come in? Help us with with Layla. When I left Union, I haven't been. You can say I haven't been sick. No, not one day since. We have a little ache and pain, a little something every now and then. But one thing I wanted to to let everybody hear and see: never give up on yourself. Never give up on your dreams. Never give up. You can't tell your story to somebody or your wishes to somebody else and expect them to be happy with it only because that ain't their dream that's not their goal they can't feed into it they can't like it they can't love it they can't do it unless they love you they can't because it's yours so you have to nurture it you have to perfect it it's going to go wrong things are going to go bad it's always darkest before the dawn don't give up i have been at the point, like I said, of death, I have been where they said, it's no way you're going to walk again. Legs stiff, cold. And um, how do you follow that up? <laughs> um, yeah, it was tough. Um, just never got your perspective on it. Um, but just to, to backtrack a little bit before um, the move to Columbia, uh, and even before I moved out of um, Union, how was it like to, from your perspective, to see me just continue to, one, you know, still do well in school and eventually graduate from high school? It was amazing to me because of the card that you were dealt. I mean, you never really had, um, your dad was incarcerated early and you didn't have a role model. My father was an alcoholic. You were always self-driven. And I always talked to you about everything. Talk, you know, how, I mean, I got into an argument with coworkers because I would say, I'm getting ready to make this decision, so I got to go home. Darren and I have to go out to dinner and talk. He's a kid. Why would you talk to him? Because I need to know how he processes things. I mean, I need to, for him, because he helps me. Mom, that doesn't make sense. Oh, Mom, let's do it this way. I had to give you everything I didn't think that I had because you didn't talk and I didn't talk. But that's what we did do. 
We talked to each other. I didn't talk to other people because I didn't trust anybody. The only person in my world that I trusted ever was you. And I, I always thought that communication was the basis of it. So you and I, that was my everything. So I had I, I had to remain steadfast and immovable in whatever I did. I put more into you than I even put into myself. Even when I thought life was over for me, I wanted to be able to process the fact that this child has to be able to be strong. If I do close my eyes tomorrow, I believe he's going to be okay. Because I gave you everything that I could. And I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about mentally, physically. I tried to give you everything just in case. But at that point, how do you process? I'm not going to be here. How do you process? I'm leaving him to me with a family that was, <laughs> I mean, they were good, loving people. But I wanted to raise you. I wanted to see you through. I and when you did accomplish every goal, whatever goal I set, you hit that ball on the park. I expected you to graduate, and every time you graduate, you graduated with honor. Uh, when you graduated from high school, I didn't think you were going to be able to walk down the aisle because of all those things you had. <laughs> but you always superseded everything, and, and those moments were, were wonderful. As you tell, I had a party every time we had, even though you weren't that type of person. But um, you, you've always superseded my wildest imagination, but you were everything that I've always wanted. That's big. Um. But to see after after high school, um, obviously, even, you know, I, I decided to do my first two years of college, still local. Um, but how was it when I left? Like, what was Can your... I tell you how I felt about you? I felt that you went to school, went to college in Union, which I never understood in the beginning, but because of me, because I was sick. Because you were the one giving me my shot. Because you were taking care of me. And I felt like I got to do better so he can go on. I mean, you had a 4.17. You could do anything you wanted to. Union was too small for you. And I needed you to move and, and do, but I needed not to be handicapped because you weren't going to walk away from me like that. And, um, that's, that's what I had to mentally get my mind wrapped around the fact that I'm going to be better because I got to give him that push because he's great. Even though once I did that, you never came back again. But <laughs> <laughs> when you went away, you you know, you left that night thing, you never turned around. But I mean, you and I, I got into an argument with a counselor about you. Um, I went to the school um, your first day of 11th grade year and I asked for the listing of all of the um, different tests that you had to take. Um, ACT, SAT, or, you know, anything that you had. And of course, union is still low racial. A white counselor said to me, how did you know that he wants to go to school? And she's typing. And I said, ma'am, stop. What do you mean stop? Talk and turn around and look at me. I said, he has a choice, voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> but he will not work in a meal. He will not be subject to life based on other people's terms. I want him to have his own say in his own life. 
And then by that time, the gray cornet bitch had popped up and she was, uh, 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 but still, don't tell me what he's not going to do. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that did have a lot to do with um, why I stayed. But, you know, like you said, you did get better um, enough for me to go away, even though it was just an hour. That um, didn't mean for you to not come back. but in that you know as I began to create a life for me here in Colombia there was a bit of a decline in health I would say Um, in and out of the hospital um, it was rough on me because I wasn't able to be what I was um, at one time for you Um, being an hour away I still as much as I could you know, took you here and there, but I couldn't be that everyday um, attendant that I was in the past. Well, um, initially, I um, still had to take the shot, and then I started going for an infusion. And anybody, even you, if you, I think I could smack you for thinking that you never did the best that you could do at all times. I haven't been to, but off the top of my head, maybe three infusions that you haven't been there. I have not been at, at, at any point where you didn't, if you weren't able to come, did not make the time to talk. And no matter how long I talk or how short or whatever, you're there. It's no way you could have done anything different. And when you got married, um, full disclosure, that was like the worst day of my life because <laughs> I know the Bible. I know that when you leave your mom, your, your parents, you have to cleave to your wife. And there was some other woman in your life, and I just couldn't process it. But you picked a help me. You picked the best that you could have picked. and But my mind could get wrapped around that because I was losing my everything and then I thought why are you putting so much weight on this kid he can't be everything you know to you he's gotta have a life and then you were doing things by leaps and bounds and but everything that you got involved in with now who did you grab come on mom let's go and I appreciate that because a lot of kids don't even still acknowledge the fact that their parent ain't their parent. You've never been disrespectful. You've never, never left me out of anything. You always, you and I still to this day have a great relationship where I, I don't have to worry. What, what, like um, yesterday, you uh, were supposed to come at 10 and you weren't here and I didn't talk. I was crazy because you're always on time you're always you when you say something it's done and i'm that's just a joke but i'm just saying i can always count on you and that hasn't changed because you got married that has increased because you got married you know because i believe she feels maybe not in the same but down the road you know the same way about me because i think there's nothing that she won't do for me too which is amazing you know, but you and your wife have shown me something that I never knew. You showed me love. My heart was closed down because I had a terrible parent. I had a terrible family, um, my father's family. 
they made comments about my color. I wasn't lighting up the wrong to my dad. You know, I, I dealt with a lot of stuff that you didn't know about. And my my love component was shut down, but I gave you that love. Mm -hmm. I gave you what I had, but I didn't have that to give the other people. And then I heard got a calling to the church to minister. And I was like, I'm not doing that. What do you mean you got to care about people? Hmm. And I'm not, you know, nobody cared about us when we were running the street at night and, you know, running for my dad. But to full disclosure, my dad gave me what not to be in life. My dad was authentically who he was. He didn't pull any punches. Uh, he always told us, be the best that you could be. Now, you might not like this, but if you're going to be a home, <laughs> be the best. <laughs> but I mean, but he wasn't a daddy. I mean, I didn't have that, that, that type of love. And when I met your father, I got that from your father. Now, when your father was taken away, the thing that I remember mostly when he left, he said, this is not an arrest. This is a rescue. My life needs to be. And we have drawn off of each other because we are still the best of friends to this day. And we've had some downs, um, you know, but for the most part, we are very good friends. And he's so proud of you. Um, and and um, even though a lot of people I don't know, you have two step, I mean, two siblings, uh, I have two step children. Um, you're, you're three. Two. You know, um, Brandy and Delonte, um, which are his children, but they are beautiful children, and you guys are amazing. But um, life has taken its turns and twists, and you just got to play your hand the best way you can. You can't let it go, let you know, let go of what what is because everything's not gonna be good. As you, as we have talked about today, my life has taken because I was supposed to be a top litigator in D.C. I was on my way to that. I had eleven cases during my trial, and I won like twelve. I won eleven because one of them I refused to take because the guy was definitely guilty. So, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, but that's not what God had. And anything that is difficult for you to do, difficult to you be in, God is not going to give you the equipment. But if you go into whatever avenue of your life, entrepreneurship or whatever you go, and it becomes easy, God has his grace on it. Um, being an encourager, helping people out, I'm good at that. I'm good at, I don't know how good I am at taking care of my granddaughter because she's very supportive, <laughs> but I try very hard. But um, you'd be good at what, you know, things that come easy to you, you you'd be good at. But I'm not just saying everything's going to be locked or great. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. I'm just going to be saying doors and, and opportunities will open when you're going in the right direction. You said a mouthful of air. Um, thank you for that. That was that was inspiring. Um, epitomize what too stubborn to fail is. Um, but before we leave, I, I have to highlight your brand. 
Um, what does 100% royalty mean to you? Well, it's important to me for you as viewers to feel comfortable about yourself, to be confident in yourself. 100% royalty, I don't know if you are aware of the fact that we are royal people. We were born into royalty. And you have to feel good about who else is going to make you feel good. I mean, people tell you stuff for the day to get something from you to make you feel good. But if you don't have that feeling on the inside, what good is it? So 100% royalty means exactly what it says. You're 100% royalty. You're either a queen or a king. Now, with this brand, I'm really not sure that I'm settled on it because there's some things that I needed say, to say a little more. Like, this is my king, that's my queen. I need us to walk as black people in that greatness. You need to walk, I mean, I see it all the time, black lives matter, all lives do matter. Black lives really matter because of the fact that a whole bunch of things have happened to us. But you need to feel good about you before you go out feeling good about somebody else. You need to pat yourself on the back. You need to encourage yourself. Your role is to be obedient. Be obedient to God's word. Be obedient to your word. Be obedient to your will. Be obedient to what you like and what you want to to, to have in your life. Or, or if you, you know, want to visit, like, I'm really not settled with a lot of things that's going on with this, but this is the brand that I want to to to, to um stamp and going through. I want people to feel good about themselves. I want them to feel good about what they put their hand on. Or what you know, take the time out to love what you do. And then you won't work a day in your life. But if you keep on, I mean, you put all these things in corporate America, you, you, you do everything for other people, you're the best employee, but what are you doing for yourself? What are you doing to promote goodness inside of you? Every morning I wake up, because MS is not at the forefront of my life, it's still a problem. Right. And I wake up some mornings, I can't get up the way I do. And you know what I say? Angela, you got this. You got Chase Taylor that you got this. <laughs> but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're gorgeous. You, I mean, these little affirmations I say to myself on a regular basis to get me going and keep me up. Because if I don't feel that way, who's I can't draw on. I live in my place by myself. So I have to encourage myself. Encourage yourself. Love yourself. Put all your weight on things for you. Entrepreneurship, owning your own, feeling good about yourself, that's important. You don't, you'll never work another day if you love yourself first. That's what I'm gonna say. Man, this has been an amazing interview. Um, I feel like these type of interviews um, not only help showcase who you are but they also let people know like where like where I started and where I get a lot of my ideals um, from so again I want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me and being on the platform um, but before we get out of here I always like to ask 
What is your too stubborn to fail moment? What's that moment that you uh, overcame adversity and made it through the other side? Not ever. I have a problem with giving up. I never want to give up on whatever it is. And sometimes that's a hindrance and sometimes that's a plus. But I never ever, if, if you put all your weight and all your energy and all your gold on greatness, if you shoot for the moon, if you fail, you'll be among the stars. You just don't ever give up. Be strong. And this is Mr. Two Step in the Film, but I started the Two Step <laughs> because I, I mean, that's the way it is. Never give up. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on your dreams. Never give up on your hopes. And never to put all your weight into somebody else and what they think. It's what you think. That's your dream. It's your goal. It's your mission. Do you. But do it to the best of your. Yeah. Be too stubborn. We are there, folks. This is this has been another amazing episode. But before we leave, um, what would you? How can how can if anybody would like to get in contact with you? Um, what what platforms are you most active on? Well, Facebook now. Okay. Um, you can hit me up on Facebook, Angela Perkins. Um, and um, uh, my email address angela1963 2011 at gmail.com and for talk or if you want shirts or you know i have the king the queen shirts and we're gonna come in different sizes but i stood take to the moment and step step back so it felt good mm-hmm. and now it feels good everything you have to do things that feel good i'm not doing anything ever ever again in my life that doesn't feel good mm-hmm. well Thank you for that. It's been another dope interview on the Too Stubborn to Fail podcast. I'm your host, Darren Perkins. We had Angela Perkins, my mom, here today. We had an amazing conversation, and we are tuning out.